0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice.
1: The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories
2: when it comes to the investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin.
0: Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, episode twenty-six. As always, joined by the three amigos. We got Rich Diaz, with the new haircut, the Tom Brady of Macro Acorn Macro Consulting, and we got Keith Dicker of IceCap Asset Management, everyone's favorite boomer. So, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, some of you guys are watching this on YouTube. Notice I'm in a. This is a, just uh, been kicked out to my office downtown here. I. Uh, have a whole bunch of construction crews at my new place finishing very, very quickly because I've got an appraiser coming to my place tomorrow. I said, I need to ref, I need to get a big refinance in here before the bank of Canada starts raising rates. (coughs) So, um, that kind of brings me into the conversation here, which is April 13th. So next week, uh, we'll touch this week on the big federal budget that was announced, but more importantly, let's talk about my refinance April 13th. Uh the market's pricing in 50 basis point move. <laughs> Excuse me. 50 basis point move from the Bank of Canada. And um uh, Keith, what are you what are you thinking here?
2: Me? Yeah. <laughs> no, the other Keith. <laughs> just can't stop looking at Rich's haircut. Man, <laughs> that's that's sharp looking. It's really good, really nice. <laughs> Um, I think we got a bit of a twinkie uh, bet coming up here. Maybe or, or maybe not. Um, yeah, so guys, so two weeks ago, it, it was suggested on the podcast that we're going to start hearing conversations about the Bank of Canada doing a 50 basis point hike. And uh, back then it was like, holy smokes, that, that, that's crazy, it's not going to happen. Then a few days went by, more people started talking about it. And then the Fed came out And they basically suggested, hey, that's on the table for those guys as well. Here we are another week later. Now we're a week countdown away from the Bank of Canada and the market has priced it at, uh, yeah, there's over a 100% chance that they're going to raise rates by 50 basis points. So what I like to point out to everyone for this is, again, central banks don't like to surprise the market. They'll always you know, float, you know, you know, the straw man concept. I don't know where that came from, but, you know, somebody go out and float an idea, see what the reaction is, and they'll come back and they'll change it and then float out it out again and see, see what the reaction is until they get it just right. And then policymakers will make the announcement because then it that's, that's what's expected on the market. So that's exactly where we're going right now. So whether, you know, I always suggest to people, central banks shouldn't be doing what you want them to do. Instead, you should be anticipating what they're gonna do based on what you know what their actions are. So make the long story short. Here we are. I think it's bet number two coming up. Here's the Twinkies. I'm in for Boom. 50 basis points next week. Five zero, half a percent. <laughs> and I know Rich is up one to nothing on this one because on, he got the wants. last one right. So that, that's just the, the first uh comment on it. Here's Rich, Rich nice gonna- haircut. He's looking thin. I think he needs a Twinkie or two, actually. It's not happening. They're not going to raise by 50 basis points. Wow. I'm, go. I'm, a, I'm a lot less confident
1: this time than I was last time. Um, but I think, um, you know, what's that that famous quote? Um, when people show you who they are, believe them. Um, they they I just don't think they're going to do the right thing because I don't think they have the guts to do it. Um, I don't, I'm not necessarily even sure, by the way, 50 basis points is the right thing. Um, a different angle on this is I think everybody's talking about inflation or worried, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you could actually make the case that the inflation impulse, the, the peak of it, let's say the, the most severe kind of um, dislocation that we've seen, whether it's from, you know, year on year change in energy prices or uh, supply side stuff, um, I think is actually probably behind us. Um, and I'd like to think that these guys are, you know, thinking of at least a couple of moves ahead. The other thing, the other reason I would say why is that once you do 50 basis points, I think that sort of locks you in for the next 50 and the next one after that. And so I think that they're probably really cognizant of that forward guidance angle of it. But I don't know. It's not a very convincing argument from my perspective, but there you go there. That, that's what about you, Steve? What do you? Oh man, this is a tough one. I'm, I'm very conflicted.
0: I, you know, maybe up until... A day or two ago, I was saying 25, but I, you know, just having some conversations with some bond traders here in Canada that I have a lot of respect for. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I I'll go with rich and just, just for the hell of it, just cause I don't like Keith. Uh, I will take a 25 <laughs> basis point Twinkie bet. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, obviously, 50 basis points if they move. You guys know my, you know, I think our thoughts here from 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 the, from the get-go of basically this year when all these rate hike forecasts were coming out, like my view has still been three to four hikes, but it kind of leads into the next conversation, which is maybe these guys are truly intent on destroying wealth. I mean, I know that the Fed was out or members that was it, was it Bill Dudley? That did the interview, Keith. Yeah, I, I think, think yes. so. Yes, yeah, that's right. You know, and, and I know, like, I've got a lot of respect for Jim Bianco, who's who's quite active there on Twitter, and he's been like hammering this point home. He's extremely bullish on rate hikes, which is like, so the, I think the, the 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 framework that I work with, that maybe I think Rich, you the same, is that like every time markets start to even wobble a little bit, the Feds come in and had your back, and so. We're, to make the argument to say, you know, six, seven, eight rate hikes this year is basically to say that the Fed or central banks have suddenly changed their mind that after ten plus years of extreme accommodation, that they no longer have your back, and they're actually serious about fighting inflation, and they're actually going to drive down asset prices and basically send the economy into recession to do whatever it takes to fight inflation. And, and so, my view has been. I don't think that they will. I think, any, I think once the stock market drops, you know, let's say twenty percent, and housing takes a dump, and sales come to a grinding halt, I think that they're going to reverse course. So it comes down to how much pain do you think that they're actually willing to inflict? Are are these central bankers? Have they changed? Can they change given the amount of debt that's in the system? I don't know, Keith. Can they change? Are they going? Are they actually changing? Is this a regime shift, or are
2: or is everybody getting faked out here? Well, so first of all, central bankers know that they've reached an extreme moment in financial history over the last 12 years. they they reached the lower bound. It's not a magic number like at 4 or 5%. And, you know, they, they come up with like real wonky ideas and why it's not the lower bound and all that stuff. But guys, it, it is the end of a 40-year cycle with rates going lower and lower and lower and, and whatever. So like something is going to break here. Um I hope you guys are correct, and it is only a 25 basis point hike for two reasons. One, I really like Twinkies a lot more than wagon wheels. Man, that thing was <laughs> horrible. What I ate last time, even my my kids they said, well, "Why did you eat that?" So anyway, the Twinkie does look. I'm stirring. I've been stirring this box of Twinkies now. That was sent to me by uh, by Keaton Bessie. There you go, Keaton. There's a plug Keaton's for you. Good Keaton. man. I know Keaton sent me a box of Twinkies. Uh, Keaton, I also really like Pinot Noir as well. By the way, California, <laughs> California Sonoma Coast, Anderson Valley specific. Uh, however, but uh, so you have that. But uh, again, like everything's market related, guys. Like you should never love or hate any part of the market. Never dig your heels in on it. So right now, what I'm telling you, if Right now, the market is telling you it's 50 basis points coming up. And if you truly, honestly believe it's only going to be 25, you need to buy the Canadian bankers acceptance contract. This is not investment advice. This is just a fact that this could be your like game changing moment you know for your your (laughs) investment year or quarter or whatever you're you're looking at so for both Steve and Rich I know you guys are going to line up and you're going to go along that thing or buy call options and uh but that that's my challenge to you guys but back to the uh because I know three of us I know we were bantering this idea around a a couple of days ago and it's kind of like can they really do that or or not uh again because the, the Because the economy, global economy and financial markets has been backed in such an extreme corner right now, they know that if they start raising rates and doing QT and budgets are still going wacky, that something doesn't work. So the concept of central banks and treasuries not feeling that badly if the economy rolls over and that, and they have to stop rate hikes and put QE back on again. Like that would be embraced. Some people think markets, you know, this price discovery—they're efficient and stuff like that. But I could easily see that the, the biggest cure for inflation right now. Remember, they can't fix supply. They've been trying to fix stupid now for two years, and they—they they, they can't do it. Instead, you can fix demand, and by slowing demand down, you know that would help with supply. Again, it's not my view on what they should do. It's what what I know is being talked about behind the doors behind the uh, the curtain So I just want to say something about that because I mean I've heard about that a lot and I, I just
1: I, I wonder the if the, if there's if it's really that wise to assume that the Fed wants to engineer a recession <laughs> I mean because that's what you're saying right in order to sort of to increase labor market slack in order to, To slow down demand they want to have um, to sort of do a recession to make sorry sorry raise rates enough to induce a recession um i think there's one cynical reason why i don't think that they want that to happen um you're going into midterms which we haven't discussed uh the u.s midterm election which is i think november 9th or something or or 6th or whatever it is um i am not sure that any democrat wants the federal reserve to raise rates such that the economy you know uh slows down right before the midterm elections i think they're having hard enough time with inflation as it is i think if you start seeing um employment losses instead of employment growth i'm sorry um yeah employment market labor market shrink instead of labor market growing um i think yeah i think that that's not at all what they want and the other thing is it's not at all clear that that's ever their aim anyways um but yeah and then the other thing i want to say was that um, it, it's I think we're gonna I mean I mentioned it before but I think they're gonna we're gonna start seeing some slowing in the inflation front anyways I think that the dollar is starting to like start to bite on the um, import price growth stuff and then also we're seeing some relaxing in the supply chain I don't know the ISM came out um, which is the Institute of supply uh, management and they come out with a PMI which is a purchasing manufacturers index and you can see the backlogs are starting to improve price expectations did go up, but um, you're starting to see some supply kind of, um, some supply um, easing. I think, but, you know, Steve, you always say that there it might not be internal. We might get a shock from the outside that knocks um, either financial market conditions off their perch or create some financial market stress. We I don't know, we weren't planning on talking about the Euro area, but I mean, you might get the demand destruction coming from outside, um, outside of the US, outside of Canada, which might... Um, so, sort of negate any efforts from the Fed and the Bank of Canada to slow demand? I don't know. just Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I obviously,
0: I'm just tracking housing, right? That's my thing. So anytime I hear you guys, these guys saying, you know, eight rate hikes, I'm just like, okay, well, I mean, sure, you can do eight, but just know that you're going to have a pretty nasty, I think, recession, because I think housing will will go to complete crap with eight rate yeah. hikes. But... Um, so that's kind of that's kind of my thoughts basically is that you've got that, and then you've got an update to the federal budget as well, uh, which we'll kind of jump into because yeah they announced uh, well let's pull it up here, Keith. So Keith, uh, Twitter account of Keith Dicker, give him a follow at cap Global. Um, See so they <laughs> they projected uh, going from 113 billion dollar deficit to just Keith only 8.4 deficit 8.4 billion so they they're, they're going to go from 113 billion dollar deficit in 2021 2022 to just 8.4 any comments
1: wait what <laughs> that's not happening <laughs> sorry carry on <laughs> sorry, sorry
0: wow I mean, I'll let Keith. I'll let Keith yeah, I'll let sorry, Keith, Keith. Go ahead, Keith. I'll let you uh, chime in. I've got my I've got thoughts of my own here, but I'll I'll let you uh, have a have a hoot here.
2: So, what was really great? So, by the way, everyone, we um we we delayed the recording of the Looney Hour this week by a few hours so that we could listen to the the new budget coming out of Ottawa because it's exciting stuff, right? It's it's pretty interesting and. You know, you're on the edge of your seat.
0: We had to keep up, uh, keep, keep Keith up past uh, his 3 p.m.
2: Bed, bedtime <laughs> nap. I know I had an extra nap to, to do this. And um, so when, when so what, what was was interesting when, when this thing comes out, you know, you're excited for it all day. You work all day. I was like, hey, it, you know, it, it's five o'clock where I am. You plug in. And after the first 90 seconds, I'm thinking, oh, what a mistake. This is just, so what I mean by this, this is just random comments. So the very first one is, and I, th- I think a lot of our listeners, uh, they, they probably appreciate this, but the majority of people across the country may, may not really appreciate it. Uh, everything is orchestrated. So whether you realize it or not, whether it's, it's a company making an announcement on something, or you know the, the loony hour doing something you know some things were orchestrated to look and sound and feel just the way that it's intended to you know so with so I was watching the CBC version of this, and they start off with like maybe a ninety second or, or two minute uh segment about what's happening around the world in Canada and this was this was effectively an advertisement to promote the um the, the new Fiscal agenda that that's coming out of Ottawa right now by the Liberal Party and, and the NDPs, and I'm watching, I'm listening, I'm like, oh my god, like this is unbelievable. Because again, it it's, you know, it's it is propaganda. So whether if you want to use that word in a positive or negative or neutral light, that that's what it was. So if people watch this on the CBC and are thinking, oh yeah, all this is totally justified. So for example, one of the things that came across at the beginning, you know, they announced that. Uh, the UN and the Canadian government are warning that the world will become unlivable if we don't address the climate change. Ugh. Therefore, we need climate change taxes, you know, and stuff like that. But to, to use those words, it's it just sort of, you know, I, I look at it and I come back and say, okay, th- th- let's get on with it. But th- those are my initial comments. And then we'll, I'll, co- I'll come back in other views hey, on, this, Bill, on the specifics. Bill Gates just bought a house on the beach.
1: Yeah, I saw that forty five million bucks right on the right on the the strip that's supposed to be, be underwater. It's gonna be gone in five years. Um,
0: thank God he can afford it. Um, yeah, I mean, also on the uh, the housing front, there, <clears throat> a couple uh, couple couple nice little political wins for the uh, liberal government. There is they brought in, so they ended up did bring in because I think there was a document that was released a couple months ago saying that the liberals had voted down the foreign buyer ban. So maybe they made a tweak to it, but they did bring in a, so it's going to be a two year ban on foreign purchases in Canada. Um, the exemption is that you can buy a primary residence, but if you, you, so you cannot, if you're a foreigner, you cannot buy an investment property in Canada for the next two years. Uh, that was number one. Number two is they brought in a, like a flipping tax where basically if you flip your home within a year uh, it will be subject to income tax. Like uh, it'll be, it won't be a capital gains. It will be taxed as income, which to be honest, is kind of already happening. Like if you're doing flipping at a professional level or more frequently, you know, you're already running it through a business anyways and you're paying business income. Um, So this is really that kind of tax ultimately targets kind of the mom and pop. Um, but again, politically, I guess maybe that, that will sell. Um, but yeah, so on the housing front and they promised a bunch of money to help speed up municipal approvals of new supply, which again, I said, well, what's the best case scenario? You know, it takes, instead of, you know, approving a condo project in three years, it only takes, you know, two and a half years. I don't know if that's really going to move the the needle a whole lot. So long story short, my sort of take on the housing situation was, it was kind of a bit of a nothing burger, some good political wins there. Um, because the biggest thing I'll take away from that is it brought in that foreign buyer ban at like the perfect, most opportune time if you're the liberal government, because what's going to happen is housing prices. In my opinion, again, if the bank of Canada continues to raise rates, like everybody says they're going to house prices are going to fall. I don't know if it's 5%. I don't know if it's 15% but someone's going to look at it and say, Oh yeah, see the foreign buyer tax did good. The liberals, good job liberals. And in my opinion, it's actually going to be mortgage rates that were entirely responsible for that decline. Um, So that's kind of my thoughts. Oh, and I guess I'll I'll add one last thing uh, for that to that foreign buyer ban again, not that I'm opposed to it, but I just for anyone that's like not educated and actually thinks it's going to do something. BC has a 20% foreign buyers tax across the entire province last time I checked BC home prices are ripping to new highs record home price appreciation I think the average price in BC now is just over 1.1 million Um, per the BC government's own data foreign buyers made up less than 2% of transactions last year so um, that's all I got Keith I know you had a little bit of perspective or comments on the foreign buyer ban uh, maybe from a capital perspective you
1: tell me Wait, wait, wait! Before Keith gets into that, I have a, I have a technical question. Um, if you're on, if you're an immigrant to Canada and you get your PR, does do you count as a foreign? No, yeah, buyer? good,
0: good question. No, no. So you, if you get like a PR or so, you're like PR a, is permanent residency for. People yeah, who and I think if you're know. like a student here, so it's gonna be it's gonna be loaded with loopholes, obviously. Okay, that um, was what. Sorry, sorry. Please yeah. Continue. So that that is a good question. So if you're like a temporary worker on a work visa, or you're a permanent resident. You're yeah, not a foreign buyer. You're, you're not a foreign buyer.
1: Okay, so it's bogus
0: then. <laughs> it's bogus. But again, like what's going to happen is like market will drop 10% and everyone's like, hey, I worked. You know, and yeah. uh, anyways, it'll be strictly mortgage rates going
2: to 5% that crushes things. But uh, Keith, go ahead. Okay, so continuing on with the, uh, the introduction from the CBC. They didn't use the word of the balanced budget and they said it's a balancing act. Right, that sounds a lot better than because the the budget is not balanced, guys. And I did tweet out what the projections were for the next. I think it was five years, two different versions of it, and they ain't going to hit those numbers. We go into those as well. And the whole thing was being sold as fiscal responsibility, right? I mean, so but... so you, so you think about that uh, for a second. Uh, so so first of all, Steve, you mentioned something that if if a foreigner does buy a house, you say it's it's deemed to be a primary residence is that what you said they have they so the only way
0: that a foreigner is allowed to purchase a home in Canada for the next two years is if it's their primary residence yeah. so they have to declare the home as their primary residence which I'm not a tax expert so I couldn't tell you the ramifications that I got to think of. if you're declaring a primary residence in Canada I would think you're somewhat sub- subject
2: to declaring worldwide income. I, I don't know so I I, uh, I I was offshore for a, for a while, so I'm I become very I become somewhat knowledgeable about that area. Um, so so by the way, this is great for for uh, you know our listener that um, Canada is the only country in the world that does not have a very specific criteria to determine if you are a Canadian to pay taxes or not. That's it. Everyone else is, is black and white. You're either this or you're that. With, with Canada, they have a thing called uh, the, the, the CRA will determine whether you should pay taxes. It's up to them. And they will assess uh, some, um, some, some primary criteria and, and secondary. So, the primary, there's a reason I'm telling you this story. So, the, the primary ones, I like, again, I'm not a tax expert, but my interpretation is if you have a, a spouse, a house, or a louse in Canada, you know, with the Laos being your kids, of course, then, yeah, buddy boy, you are one step closer to being a Canadian for tax reasons and you have to pay taxes. So if you are a, if the house is your primary residence, this is where they're going with, with this, Steve. Makes sense. That all of a sudden, yeah, they have to pay, you know, Canadian taxes. Um, so any foreigners who, any non-Canadian residents who are listening to this, and they're still thinking about buying a house in Canada and they're trying to do it. Obviously you guys are, you know, you're well in tune with this and you're getting some better suggestions on what to do, but that's why they're, they're going with those specific words, primary residence. It is from a tax perspective. So, and, and again, any foreigner with, you know, solid legal advice, they're not going to back themselves into that. Um, so the one, the one thing I really liked, uh, I, I've got to hope. So first of all, guys, corporate taxes are going higher. Oh right. joy! Yeah, specifically for the big banks and insurance companies. And uh, did did you guys see the? Uh, I think it was TD Bank. Scotia. What's the Scotia Bank? Scotia. The they CEO. This... Yeah,
0: yeah. Did you see that story? Yeah, he was not happy. He got COVID, so he couldn't comment on the. It was uh, the outstanding.
2: Bank like I'm, I'm like I'm reading this, and I think I it makes said you guys, you guys, There's a lot to unpack in here. But anyway, the uh, so Scotiabank, I think they're having their AGM and the CEO, you know, he, he was going to, you know, obviously he's, he's going to present at, at the AGM and he was going to voice his displeasure with, because they knew ahead of time what was coming up, that Ottawa is going to impose a surtax on on Canadian banks. And uh, obviously he wasn't very happy with it. And I don't know where he got COVID or tested positive COVID, who knows, but. They probably gave it to mm-hmm. him. He just yeah, he just wasn't available to, to be there. So instead of doing a, a video presentation, you know, which you could do obviously, uh, the CFO took his place, and the CFO neglected to dive into this all important part of, of the the bank's perspective. Uh, anyway, but so many then. things like yeah, this lace and in, in that with what came out of it. I mean, you, you got the whole you know socialism slant. You know, the wealth had to pay their fair share. But make no mistake about it, as as of right now, on, unless someone in parliament is going to flip, um, you know, Canadian banks, insurance companies are going to start paying more taxes. That's coming up. And then the next step, of course, is for individuals who will be paying more taxes. Um, the wealthy will pay more taxes. And remember that they can always change the definition of, of wealthy. So that that is coming. The other one, uh, I know I'm hogging the airtime here, but, geez, guys, it's, it's the Canadian budget. It's, it's, it's more of a snoozer than a rich talking about the, the PMI diffusion index. I've got a couple of it. good things to go. So I'm waiting. I know. I'm waiting, okay. I'm for Here, here's the great one, you know, so first, so two, two more last things, two more. Okay. Two last things. One, they're going to pay out a $500 one-time payment to help lower income people to buy a house. So Steve, how does that help someone buy a house? $500. Yeah. 500 bucks. Jeez, that doesn't even cover your gas to go look at houses.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, they have that that first time home buyer. You can save forty thousand in your RSP. But again, I mean That makes sense. That seems like a good idea, no? Yeah, I I guess, but I'm like, I don't know. Like if you're in like Vancouver and Toronto, like 40
2: grand, like so geez. they also announced they're gonna have a new housing savings plan. I don't have the name right. So again, I look at this, you know, I, I get it I, again, all of these moves coming out today, it's all for the political base from the, uh, the red and orange parties. I mean, that that's what it is. So right now, if you don't have enough money to, to buy your house and, and buy gas and, and all, you know, go, go see the BC lions play. Right. Steve, BC lions, go lions, yeah. go lions roar. And, uh, <laughs> All of a sudden, you have enough money to start socking away for a house savings plan. I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't know how that works out. But, Rich, what did you see there? Uh, I know you like a few numbers every now and then. What well, you, no, what I mean, I just
1: so I have um, I have five points. I like to I like to number my points. I always write them down because I <laughs> otherwise I forget. <laughs> um all right so i have one five point one one cynical too bad and too good believe it or not uh, on the budget so the cynical one is you're gonna see and just for our listeners and um you're gonna hear this a lot from christopher fieland she always compares everything canada does to the g7 and she does this because the rest of the g7 suck that's the subjective answer But the real reason is because they are just horrible comparables. And under no even basic or even rudimentary economic or macroeconomic analysis would you ever compare Canada to the following countries. Um, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, United Kingdom, and United States. Now, you could maybe say that you should compare Canada to the United States, although the size is significantly different. And I'll say that why, because Japan's population growth is shrinking. Canada's population growth is virtually the only reason we have any GDP growth. I'm exaggerating a little bit to make the point, but you get what I mean. Italy's economy hasn't grown in real terms in 20 years. I got that right. By the way, just for the record, for our listeners, I screwed up last time on Japan. Japan's real GDP per capita is not going up. Its real GDP is going up. I got that wrong, so I'm sorry for screwing it up. But anyway, back to the G7 thing. You can't compare Canada to other countries in the G7. It's a horrible comparable. You should be comparing Canada to countries like Australia. It's a commodity-based economy. Immigration is a very important source of growth there. It's the same sort of um, size, roughly. Do you know what I'm saying? And so she always says G7, G7, but like, four, like three of the countries in the G7 are are like basically dog shit economies that haven't done anything in ages. And, um, and so it just, it's, it's, it's great. It looks great in the charts um, and you'll see it all over the budget. Uh, but it's, it's there to mislead on purpose, because if you wanted to have a more like relevant comparable, you do the OECD or you can throw an in, in there or things like that, that nature. Anyway, so that's the like cynical point. The bad stuff is, I think, there's just so much emphasis on spending money to reduce emissions. Just to be, just so Canadians understand something, I think uh, Canada is like 0. 0.6 uh, billion metric tons. China is nearly 10. Canada is a rounding error. Every dollar that we spend trying to reduce emissions for an economy that's basically surviving on uh, by selling oil is counterproductive, a waste of money and will basically have no impact on climate change globally. Let's, so that's very clear. The reason I bring that up is because one of the really horrible things is productivity growth. Canada R and D spending is at a 20 year low relative to GDP. Uh, They do touch on it in the budget, but instead of saying, you know, we got to invest in medical technology or tech technology, you know, internet technology, or manufacturing or this and that, it's all this low carbon stuff. And all of that stuff is unprovable, unsellable, subsidized tech. And what that means is you're, you're flushing money down the toilet. Maybe you'll hit on some one technology or something like that, but it's not clear at all that, you know, you're doing you're it's not clear that there's going to be any kind of return on that investment. So that's, those are the two bad. And then the, the two good that I thought was one was, I mean, good is, who depends. One is the population growth. You better believe that the next three years are going to have an incredible amount of immigration and that's going to the moon. So you can have all the stupid housing um, legislation you want if you increase population growth by 500,000, which by the way is more than the US um, is increasing its immigration and the US's economy is 10 times the size. Um, it doesn't matter how many, TFSA housing, you do forty thousand. Let's go. It it doesn't matter what kind of all that stuff is a bunch of baloney. If you just have an incredible amount of people enter your country, um, you can have all the stupid housing legislation you want. It, it demand, supply. The supply takes a while, and demand is going to skyrocket, and that's just going to put a floor under housing. The thing that I thought was really, really good in the budget which is unambiguously good, I think, um, and trust me, I, I'm not a super big fan, and, and, and so it pains me to admit this, is there's a whole section on critical um, materials or minerals opportunities, and there's a lot of money, and they understand what I think is becoming obvious to everybody now, is that rare earth minerals, supply chains related to metals, all that stuff is dominated by China, um, and we we see it's going on in Russia and Ukraine what happens when nefarious actors control a, a particularly important commodity. The fact that they've outlined not only where this investment needs to happen. So there's like a map of Canada and it's in the north, it's here, it's there, whatever. And they're like, this is we need to spend a shitload of we need to unlock the potential Canada has for mining in a sustainable and ethical way. They have funding for it, they have tax breaks for it. They have the infrastructure that you need to get the mine out of it. So if I had to pick one thing that Canada should spend money on is exploiting our natural resources in an, in an ethical and, and safe way. And the fact that they have a whole section devoted to that, I say, is unambiguously good. And so that would be the um, those would be my points. No gas
0: cars in Canada by 2039. Oh yeah, that's so
1: bogus. Okay, can we talk about something that's never going to happen? One of the things that came out a couple of weeks ago, not related to the budget, but I got to get this off my chest, which is this idea that by 2035, no sales of internal combustion engines. Do you understand how much lithium we would have to mine? We Like all of the lithium mines would have to be only for Canada for like a year. At like years, and I mean, it's just like the numbers are just incredible. Like there was what 20, 30 million cars in Canada. So you'd need every single lithium mine in the world to be mining can, uh, lithium only to be used in, in like Canada. So it's the, the numbers are spectacular when it comes to the amount of lithium that you need to turn to, to, to basically convert the fleet of vehicles that we have in this country into electric vehicles. It's not going to happen. Don't Acorn worry. Acorn macro <laughs> okay, it's a consulting. A, 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 in, in 13 years from now, if I'm wrong, you can come find me and punch <laughs> me in the face.
0: <laughs> um, Keith, I would love to um, touch on as well, not to bore people to death on this uh, budget here. But I remember you had, a, you had a really good boomer story. I remember you told me once, and this is years ago, um, when that politician came knocking on your door. and uh, and you asked him about his budget for the election because I'm looking at his budget and saying, Hmm, the budget deficit is going to go down to 8.4 billion in four, four to five years from now, where's the growth coming from? Like we just talked about, so everyone's in this view that we're going to raise rates. We're going to kill the economy, put it into recession, kill housing, bring prices back down to affordability levels.
1: And the government's going to stop spending money. And we're gonna have growth. I mean, population—the uh, the numbers that these guys are talking about with respect to population growth can can really do, uh, like, can really help in that regard. Well, then that's not. not gonna by have the place. way, that's well, not then you're not gonna have. F- then, you're not gonna gonna have for- then you're not oh, gonna have affordable go housing. Definitely not affordable housing. That's. I mean, people should just get over that. But what is <laughs> important is your nominal GDP will definitely rise if you nominal GDP of, if you let you let shit loads of people into your country right you just you you bring up your nominal GDP now your per your GDP per capita as some listeners might know in Canada has been a our record on GDP per capita growth has been abysmal it's fine and it will can and it will continue to be uh, because our we don't spend any money on research and development and we spend money on stupid carbon capture technologies that don't work but um anyway Keith if you had a view on that uh,
2: so so first of all I think you mentioned there a while ago uh, about ethical mining something like that well it's Uh, not
1: kids it's not kids in a in a a cave like they get i mean how do you think cobalt is mined cobalt is mined by hand by children (laughs) In (laughs) know
2: what what, what i want to point out is for a lot of people uh a lot of mining of anything in in the western world it you know there's a lot of rules and regulations with it uh mining outside of the western world uh guys it's you know what what you think about being i don't mean you isn't rich, but as anyone with the teach university, there's ethics and morals something going on. If you know any anybody in the Canadian junior mining sector, ask them what it's like to try to get permits in China, South America, Africa, everything. That's a whole, that's something we can talk about uh, at the Vancouver uh, ep- uh, show, the live show. Um, okay, so first, here's the boomer story. You guys ready? Walk. But not the one that Steve wanted. Here's, here's a different Damn. one. I know. You guys weren't expecting this. Rich is like, uh-oh, where were we going? <laughs> we're going all the way back to the 80s, guys. Before the choose. internet. I know. It was, hit it the, was.
0: Feel free to hit the skip button here on the podcast <laughs> platform.
2: Um, go ahead. So Tuesday nights at 8 a.m., guess what happened in my house? It was Happy Days night. I learned two things from watching Happy Days. One, I watched The Fonz. And he helped me become pretty successful with the ladies in high school because, you know, I took his tips on what to do. Mrs. Look at Ice me Cat. now. I know. <laughs> you can see it. Uh, the other one, I always remember the episode. Did you guys watch Happy Days? You guys don't even know what I'm talking about, I guess. Do you? We don't know what you're talking about. You don't know. Steve? I wasn't even a twinkle in my father's eye at this I point. I know. So. You always say that. A few listeners might know the happy days. Anyway, my favorite one of my uh, episodes everybody enjoyed. Richie Cunningham was running for uh, class president. And uh, when he came up to give his speech, he outlined 85 reasons why he should become the class president. You could. By the time he got through, all like everyone was gone. He didn't win. So, Rich, I loved all your your comments. I think you started off by saying there were three reasons, or three things, one to comment. Yeah, you went like eight or nine. It was like I'm thinking this is Richie. It was still so shorter right than there. your bit. <laughs> I tried to be positive. I mean, we can't
1: just rail on this 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 government all the time. I mean, some even even a broken clock's right twice a day, right? I mean, they're, they're gonna do some stuff. That's all right.
2: Check out Richie and the Fawns, guys. He'll he'll change your life. <laughs> uh, but the other comment, though, a bit more serious. Um, you know, you know what they say, right? You never let the truth get wave of a, of a good story. But this one is actually true. Uh, they're back. I think it was the 2016 federal election that we had. Was that the, the first one when Trudeau came in? 15, I think. Was it 15? Okay. Uh, so you know, when when I got knocked on the door and the Liberal parties were coming around, and you know, it and, and again. They're they're campaigning on on what I call the soft points, not the hard hard points or financial points. Soft is you know touchy feely stuff. But I asked the guy, I said, "What about the, the you know the, the budget? What are you guys going to do?" He said, "Oh, it's going to be balanced." And I said, "It's not going to be balanced." I said, "Like you guys started off, I think it was four billion surplus, and and this isn't um, you know support for the other party and, and the power of the time. It's just it is what it is, right?" He said no, and it was a, it was I think five or six guys running around together. And one of them was the the guy running for the neighborhood. And uh, they all came over, and I said, you know, you guys were saying that the budget deficit is going to be like four billion this year. I said you guys aren't going to be close to that. I said I gave them the reasons why. I said you're going to be about twenty billion at least, and they're, they're very quickly. You know, remember they're business people. You know, deep at heart, and uh, they quickly realized, You know, I'm not voting for these guys, right? It's not coming up. So anyway, they, they, they left and they never visited again, but the budget that year, the deficit was over 25 <laughs> <funny>. billion. So <laughs> again, they were campaigning on two to four deficit and they came out with 25. So this, these new projections that are coming out, and again, I haven't seen the details yet, but you know, they're, they're showing that you know, the, the deficit's gonna decline over the years, but you, you need to know what interest rate are they using on the debt that's maturing and what their interest expense is going to be and whatever and i can guarantee you it's going to be a extremely low number that will never go up second of all you have to look at what gdp number are they using guys. there's a lot of moving parts here on this so uh and then you got to break down gdp is it coming from is it you know growth in the economy is it going from taxes going up or more importantly is it coming from royalties from from energy sales or other mineral sales so there's a lot of things going on here. And um, again, so what was uh, sold tonight in Ottawa was that, what was the word? Uh, it's not a, a balanced budget, it's a balancing act. And there's a lot of fiscal responsibility taking place. I think you take a screenshot of this, and even one year from now, we're gonna come back and say, oh man, they're way off I- again. Like it, it's, it's just not gonna happen. Everyone's in a bad spot right now financially and it doesn't matter if which which party you're with they're not be they're not going to be able to get this back on track because of the debt loads
0: yeah you're just basically waiting for the next slowdown and i still think of it a lot like love them or hate them i still like ray dalio's sort of call on monetary policy three which is government spending deficit spending basically driving growth Because central banks have reached that lower bound of zero that like, how do you derive growth in a massively over levered economy? And I think we've kind of, I think the pandemic ultimately opened Pandora's box, which is you can fix almost any problem, including shutting down the entire economy by having the
2: government basically just run massive deficits and print a whole bunch of money. What, what, what people don't realize uh, is that it's it's taken, over the years, it's taken increasingly more and more debt to produce the same amount of GDP one year after the other. Lacey Hunt? So, uh, uh, yeah, Lacey has great stuff on this. Uh, I know Ned Davis has a great chart on it as well. But the the, the leverage effects, have, they're gone. Like it, it just doesn't work anymore. So, uh, you know, we're sort of right back to what we talk about quite a bit, like something has to happen on the debt side. Yep. Keith, here's another way of saying that. The other thing is what matters
1: for people is productivity growth. That is the only thing fundamentally that matters for an economy. Everything else is either you're bringing forward or delaying consumption in an unsustainable way. Um, what matters is research and development, Technology advancement, in technology, and ultimately the improvement of productivity growth. And unless you have that, someone eventually <laughs> loses money on their bonds. And I think it's just, um, it's just not enough, of, and not in this country particularly, not enough of an emphasis. And I'm talking about not, not pie in the sky, you know, um, research and development. I'm talking about stuff that we understand can actively improve the per capita GDP of individuals. Um, and, and that's another way of saying that, um, which is that the, we need more and more debt to improve GDP growth. Um, the other, the, sort of the reverse, the reciprocal
2: of that is our productivity um, or GDP per capita has been falling and continues to fall. Hey, hey Steve, how, mu- how much debt has you have you sold over the last year? <laughs> Too much. I'm not gonna I'm
0: not I'm not gonna pretend that I'm improving this economy guys
2: hey guys uh, switch it up real quick here uh, if people are not aware that the next big political or geopolitical event that's coming up are, are the French elections which are I'm gonna guess may you guys might know R- right now it, it it does look like uh, you know there will not be a change however it, it will create a lot of noise. If, if there is a change in um, who's running, which party is running France, uh, that would have a, a major market reaction, you know, for the euro. Because so right now Macron, he, he's the, effectively, he's the voice of, of, of the of the EU, right, if you think about it. But uh, we do have that coming up. It's something for people to keep an eye on as we get closer to their, they, they run two rounds of an election. So in round one, if you get an outright majority, you know, so fifty plus one, then then you win. That never happens. Uh, so instead, they have a runoff election then with the top two. So it's always the established party plus, you know, someone who's extreme left or right coming up. But keep your maybe eye that, on that one.
0: Maybe that can be another Twinkie bet.
1: No, no, the problem is Le Pen is the other is the eurosceptic sort of challenger, yeah. and I think people like to vote. For her, when they have many, many options, but I don't know if she's really electable. It's, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Who knows? Things change, of course, but, um, but I think we should talk. I think we should cover a couple market stuff. I think there's a bunch. There's a couple okay. market. Let's, um.
0: Yeah. Let's go. Let's go, Rich. You go. Let's go around the horn here. And well, we'll just, I uh... mean, a
1: couple. Of, there's one Canadian thing and one, um, and one American thing. One American thing is, um, Biden. Wa- <laughs> I just have to say this: Biden's announcement that he needs more Canadian energy. Um, only a couple of several months or whatever after he kiboshed the Keystone pipeline project is just a delicious, delicious, um, irony, victory. which I could not, um, escape mentioning, uh, just to remind everybody Canada produces 4.7 million barrels a day of oil and 97% of that, those barrels go to the U S. Um, and uh, the other thing, and then the other two things I thought was, um, we got some trade data. So net exports, um, our, our, we have the highest trade surplus in 13 years, which is really, really good. And you'll know what's coming next, which is the reason that's true is because our energy exports is at an all-time high on higher volumes and higher oil prices. The thing that I thought was really, really good that we don't talk anywhere near enough about on this podcast is the manufacturing sector in this country is booming. Um, sort of different ways you can measure it. There's the IV PM, there's the IV PMI, I think Richard Ivy school anyway. I think it's a school, if I'm not mistaken. They do a PMI. There's the market, M-A-R-K-I-T, PMI. That's going up. Manufacturing shipments is ripping, orders ripping. And if it wasn't for um, supply chain disruptions, it would probably be even higher. Um, and, and then as far as the market timing stuff and, think, and looking at it, like, you know, are, is there going to be a recession? Is it not going to be a recession? What's going to happen to equity markets and stuff? I just want everybody to point to point to everybody to uh, Dr. Copper. So people call copper sort of a global macro indicator. For some reason, they call it Dr. Copper. I don't know who decided that was the name, but if you look at um, copper prices, they just keep on grinding higher. So I'm I'm in the camp that I think growth is a the, much much better than you know people Keith thinks and uh, <laughs> and so there you go. That's that's my market roundup. I don't know if you guys have anything else to add.
0: I think lumber has been keep keeps sliding though, no?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Lumber is definitely. Lumber has been crushed. Uh, by the way, I, I do suspect that uh, we're going to see growth being considerably lower in the second half of the year, uh, specifically in into Q4. So I'm not in the camp that things are ripping and, and roaring here coming up. Well, manufacturing so,
1: sector is, though.
2: Yeah. I'm just. Suggesting that overall we're okay, fair we're we're going to roll over in, into the second half of the year. Rich, what's uh, it- your?
0: Well, sorry, I just wanted to ask Rich quickly. What's what what Rich? What's your view on that? Are you because I know you talked early about inflation basically peaking. Are you of the are you of the mindset that growth and inflation has also peaked, or will peak in say Q
1: two, or? That's- I think when you have such a huge and severe dislocation in growth, I remember GDP was down like 10% or whatever. I mean, it's, I think we're still in the aftershocks, right? You had the first earthquake and then you still have the reverberations. So the fact that growth is slowing, yeah, of course it's slowing because you're not going to grow an annualized rate of 10%, right? So um I think it's you know I try not to look at those kind of numbers and I try to look at sort of the level terms and and I think that you're I think that they're going I just think people are just really way too negative on 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 growth um the rate of change yes is going to slow beca- because it can't be an, an annualized 10% um you know year on your number right so um but I I just I just, I think it's, I think it's just a little too easy to just be like, oh, the yield curve inverted, the Fed's going to raise 800 basis points and tank the economy, you know, wash your hands, let's go to the pub. I mean, I just don't, I think it's, I think it's much more complicated than that. Um, and I think that there's lots of good stuff going on in the economy and and, and you're, you're not an analyst if you only look at the bad, right? You have to, you have to look at everything and balance things out. And sometimes... Some inputs are more important than others. And I just um, I think the labor market in the US is absolutely tearing it up. Labor market in this country is artificially inflated because of population growth. Still counts. Um, and I think that you're definitely gonna have some. I mean, Europe is screwed. One of the biggest data points from last week this week was the the producer price index was a 30%, which is incredible. Um, we know natural gas prices are 10x what they are in the US. That's gonna really, really hurt industry, but you know, so what, you know, it's, there's some really good stuff going on in, in, in the U S there's really good stuff going on in Australia with their commodities, really good stuff going on. in um, in Canada, um, Asia will eventually snap back when the Chinese learn that they can't control COVID. I mean, it's, it's not always bad and I, I don't think it's, um, it's sensible to yeah, focus so. on only the bad stuff.
2: Keith, give us the bad. <laughs> so first of all, I don't think it's extremely complicated or hard or, or anything here, guys. We're we're headed for, for a slowdown. So so two things. One, the rest of the world is gonna slow down. The only way it, it stops for the US to pull it out. That the US, they're raising rates. Going to spend less money they're doing qt it's we got a war going on in europe sanctions we're, we're headed for slowdown guys it, it's it's coming up
1: but it's about timing second i mean point, eventually yes i mean i'm not saying that there will never be another recession that's not what i'm saying but slow down when i mean you could be up you could be you could be missed 30 returns on the equity market if you really right, think, I think
0: that, that, well i mean i will hold on for the listeners. Whoa,
1: here. Whoa,
2: whoa! which leads to my second point jesus for the for the listeners here. <laughs> <Good point. laughs> I think it is all about, at, it's all about time have, horizons. Guys, I have 85 points. I'm on number two <laughs> coming up here. The second and last point is, do not confuse the economy with financial markets or specifically equity markets. You can have the economy going one way and, and equities can go the other way and, and, and vice versa. And, and, and that's the problem. I am not a believer in that earnings drive the markets. That is not the case at all. I can point out a gazillion times when it's the exact opposite. It's always the anticipation of which way earnings are going to move. So, earnings so expectations are low. <laughs>
1: Anyways. Again, I'm.
2: I'm just what I'm, I'm. I'm not. Hey guys, I'm not saying equities are going down. I'm just telling you the economy is gonna. It's going to roll over. this is coming up. Okay, so it's, it's not a negative comment towards financial markets because they're completely different. Um all I it. all I I, I focus don't, on I don't have housing. another one. I don't. I know for the, well, it's negative for the housing market. Because, all I can say on,
0: all. Yeah. And all I can say on housing is the best case scenario, in my opinion, is things go flat and stabilize that's like the best case scenario in my opinion i, I but i i think so I you think, mean
1: year-on-year growth will go negative
0: uh well i mean so year-on-year sales growth obviously is already going negative because it's rate of change terms which is but like prices, last year was though. uh prices no because it's, it's it's so long for that to filter through into housing like the way that the benchmarks calculated and the way that, you know, like, so for a seller, right. They'll sit on their house for three months before they take a price reduction. So like that takes time to, so, I mean, but I would say like, you know, uh, if you are selling your house today right now, you're getting a little bit less than you did six to eight weeks ago. And again, that's not to say prices are falling, but like, there's just not the same level of feverish demand so, yeah, you won't see year-over-year year price declines in Canadian housing until at least 2023.
2: Oh, Steve, won't you agree that once you buy your house and all of a sudden you're in and you no longer worry? Do you know what I mean? Like the the, the, the band-aid is ripped off and you're like, ah, you know, you, you don't worry about it anymore. It's just a bit of a, I don't even really know if it's a good, yeah, more or less or, or not. Yeah. But if you don't have your house, you still have that euphoria panic. I know, I know people panicked about getting their house and, you know, they, they get it. So um, anyway, See, I'm like,
0: I'm like, I'm like probably like, I don't know maybe maybe like you guys are not, but I'm just so in financial markets and I just, I'm such a geek for this stuff that I'm like, damn, maybe I shouldn't have gone a 1.2% variable and gone, for that fixed at 1.9 when I had the chance, like, but it's like, obviously it's going to make really no meaningful significance on my life over the long run. But it's just like, you can't help but think hmm, if I had that opportunity again, would I do the same thing? I don't know. I, I think I probably still would, but um, I don't know. Those are the, that's the kind of stuff that I like to geek out on.
2: Want to hear a geek out, are you ready? Wait, we can end the show. <laughs> I'm not going to get this right. Hey,
0: Fonz! Jesus, we just lost half the subscribers, and now the Vancouver event is in doubt.
2: (laughs) Well, so we'll we'll end it there. Um, this could be the Fonzie episode. Maybe you advertise as the Fonzie episode. The
0: Fonzie episode that everything is going to be okay. Hey, hey! I just realized something.
2: I'm the Fonz. And enriches Rich is Richie Cunningham. Yeah. Huh? Is that Ron Howard? Yes. Sweet. Who had a much more successful career than Henry Winkler, of course. And they both overlapped in arrested development. Now we're just going off off the story, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Well, Vancouver's lose, is gonna rock. We, <laughs> I got a like killer storyline up for Vancouver. You got to come to hear it though. that's it.
0: Yeah. Before we lose our last listener here, uh, we want to thank everybody for tuning in. We, as, as always, all we ask is that you share this episode with at least one friend. Let's continue to build Looney Our uh, audience. We can see our numbers are continuing to grow on a weekly basis. So we certainly appreciate your support. Uh, the, the Vancouver event for those that you, that keep emailing me, we are finalizing the event, uh, you know, working on some quotes here, tapping Keith on the shoulders, making sure that he can pull out his wallet and uh, we will have the details hopefully announced on the next week's episode. Um, so as always,
2: thank you so much for your support. We'll see you next week.